You're listening to CTO Bob with Bob Pellerin. This is Bob Pellerin, CTO Bob. I want to thank you, first of all, for tuning in today. We're going to be talking about Canada's new anti-spam law, which was passed in December of 2010 and went into effect in July of 2014. This law, known as the Canadian Anti-Spam Legislation, is also known as CASEL, C-A-S-L. So I have the privilege today of talking to Peter Clausey, who is a Toronto-based lawyer and investor banker with a history of digital privacy and shareholder rights. So right from the get-go, Peter, could you perhaps explain to some of our listeners why this affects them and not only if they're in Canada? Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me on on the podcast. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Canada's anti-spam legislation is a bit of a strange name uh, because the statute is much, much broader than that. It captures every electronic message that any business in Canada sends or receives, whether it's by email, text message, it it covers cookies, computer updates, everything that happens involving your computer digitally is covered by CASEL. The problem is that the penalties as enforced by the CRTC can be horrific, up to $10 million per breach. And next year, you can be sued under class action litigation for breaches of CASEL. That's why this is one of the top business issues for compliance departments and risk managers to get in front of now so you don't get sued next year. So just to clarify, so July 1st, 2017 is the date where the full reach of the law comes into effect. Correct. So that's the consequence of why we get into compliance, which then brings us to the question of what does the law require of us? Well, at its broadest, the anti-spam legislation requires you, before you send an electronic message to anyone, to have that person's consent before you send that electric message. So no, you cannot email someone to ask for permission to email them. That's a violation of CASEL. You also have to be able to prove that you have those consents. So where most companies fail these days and are in CASEL breach is they don't have the necessary back office to track all of the CASEL requirements with all the exceptions and the exemptions and the evergreen provisions to prove that they're in compliance. That means if the CRTC comes knocking on your door or worse, you get sued next year, you can't prove you're in compliance. And if you can't prove you're in compliance, then you will be found liable. At this point, we are talking about Canadian corporations, Canadian individuals. Now, how are some of the multinationals affected by this? Well, when I first started working on Castle back in 2012, the legislation was still evolving. The regulations weren't in place yet. We weren't sure just how extra-jurisdictional the legislation will be. As it's turned out, the CRTC and Industry Canada take the position that any electronic message received in Canada or sent by a Canadian is subject to CASEL. So even if there's a large server farm in Cyprus, for example, emailing into Canada, the CRTC takes the position that it has authority to go to Cyprus and enforce our laws there because the breaches took place in Canada. In some ways, it's no different from sex tourism. The crime in Canada is getting on the plane even though the actual event takes place in another company. So the employees that are within Canada, if you're working for a large multinational and you happen to be part of a small group or a large group here that represents the firm, 
would it then put you at the crosshairs of the CRTC? Absolutely. Now, to be, come to the CRTC's attention, there have to be complaints lodged against you. So for the next year, year and a half, we, we are all mostly safe from the CRTC. There will be egregious violations that will be tracked. Large corporations will be tracked. But for the most part, most of your listeners are safe from the CRTC's reaches. The problem is, what do you do when the class action litigation begins? How do we protect ourselves from that? And to protect yourself from that, you get into compliance today. What kind of tools are out there right now to get into compliance? Where can they go to get more information to understand exactly what the compliance entails? That's a great question, Bob. Uh, we've been working with companies to do that. It's been our experience that it's, uh, it's like the old joke about the elephant. What part of the elephant you grab will change how you see the elephant. So if you grab the elephant by the leg, he feels like a tree trunk. If you grab the elephant by his trunk, it feels like a snake. If you grab the elephant by his tusk, he feels like a spear. I've discovered the same thing actually happens in Castle. The lawyers look at the Castle problem a certain way because they look at it through the lawyer eyes. Auditors and accountants look at Castle a different way because they only see the accounting and the audit end of it. The IT department sees it as a mere technological exercise, but not one of those people have all of the solutions. This falls into the risk management side of the business. This is the CFO. This is the director of risk. This is the general counsel within a business, making sure that everyone is on site. Uh, and, And so the tools that one must have first are internal. You must have a leader who says, yes, Castle is a problem. And yes, we will fix it. We will get into compliance. That person has to pull in human resources and the IT department as well as who's ever responsible for compliance within the company. And the HR aspect of this takes roughly 30 to 40% of the resources necessary to put you in compliance. There are some external tools that can help, but to date, um, the only one, I've only seen one cross Canada that provides third-party CASEL compliance due diligence services And that group is backed by an insurance policy issued by AIG. So I have a high degree of confidence in their ability to deliver the service that they say they can deliver. There aren't a lot of tools, though, apart from what the CRTC offers to help people through the process. Just to clarify further, we're talking mainly about email, but when we talk about data, more and more of the firms are using voice over IP phones as well. They're texting, perhaps, and they're using uh, social media. Are all those things affected by Castle as well? All of those things are covered by Castle. The, the legislation does not speak of email. It does not offer a definition of spam. What it says is, you must be able to prove that you had consent before you sent an electronic message for business to an account. So that's an extremely broad definition that captures everything digital. Corporations, individuals out there that are wanting to read up on this and so forth, what is the the primary step apart from just reading up on the actual requirements of the law? Are they, I mean, you suggest that they start right now making a list of their clients and so forth and getting ready to uh, contact and get approval from all of these clients to uh, email them in the future and contact them? Well, that's a very time-consuming exercise. 
that is the brute force way of getting it done. There are some technological solutions that make it more efficient to do that, to not just get a company into compliance, but to keep it in compliance and then have the back office records to prove you're in compliance. Um, the, when the legislation came in, there was a two-year grace period when companies were supposed to get into compliance. The problem is most people poo-pooed the event. They didn't think the CRTC was going to be that serious, and they didn't think that the Canadian anti-spam legislation would have that much of an impact. Quite frankly, I was one of them. I, work, uh, I do a lot of my work in the compliance industry. None of us actually saw Castle becoming the problem it is today. We were wrong. It is a large problem. It has to be addressed, and there are tools available to put people into compliance. A good place to start is the CRTC's website. They've done a decent job of engaging the public with the information there. The next step is likely dependent upon the size of the company. If you're a five-person shop running the bakery down on the corner, your needs are vastly different from the thousand-person oil and gas company in Alberta. So whether you turn to your external lawyer, your internal counsel, mainly is driven by the size of your shop. Are the present solutions out there, such as MailChimps and so forth, are they in compliance with Castle? Another great question, Bob. And like a lot of things in life, the answer you get depends on the question you ask. If the question is, is MailChimp in compliance with Castle? I'd be willing to bet that internally MailChimp is. But if your question is, if I use MailChimp for my email list, can MailChimp ensure that I'm in CASA compliance every time I use the list? The answer is no. There's no possible way that MailChimp has the capability to know how you harvested your list, how you got your consents, how you manage the unsubscribes. So it's not possible for the, for the third-party email list providers and service providers to guarantee that you're in compliance. The only company that can do this has to be a Castle-specific third-party due diligence provider. Actually, you bring up a great point. All communications, specifically by email, has to have a way to unsubscribe. And that's a lot of the firms in Canada right now are not doing that and don't have a means to track who wants to get off their list. Correct. If um, we get into the exact requirements of the statute, the CRTC requires that every email that's sent, every electronic message for business, must be transparent, which means you have to be able to identify who sent it, where it came from, and it must have an unsubscribe mechanism built into the email. So anybody listening now, check your email address, check your footer. Do you have an unsubscribe mechanism built in? If not, you're in breach of castle. That's one of the reasons why the CRTC went after Porter Airlines and fined them $150,000 last June. It's also part of the reason why the CRTC went after Rogers Communications in December. And Rogers wound up with a $200,000 fine related to the unsubscribe buttons. So every email you send must have an unsubscribe mechanism built into it. That unsubscribe mechanism must be taken effect within 10 days of the sender requesting to be unsubscribed. Tell me a little bit about uh, the CRTC, the, the tools at their disposal to come after individuals and corporations. The, the CRTC has always been a very powerful enterprise, and they've had a major role to play in all of our everyday lives. 
The CRTC, the Canadian Radio Television Communication Commission, is the group that regulates broadcast TV, cable TV, and your cell phone, and the carriers that carry the signals that flow through the, for those media. The problem is, the CRTC really has lost a lot of its battlegrounds. The cable companies all police each other. You know, Shaw spies on Rogers who tattletales on Bell. The cell phone companies do likewise. So there aren't a lot of battlefields to be left to be fought, except on the internet. So the CRTC has embraced the protection of digital security for Canadians as one of its battlefields. Under the CASEL legislation, the CRTC has a variety of enforcement tools available to it. There are things called citations, notices of warnings, notices of violation, all the way up to a warrant. And which enforcement tool they pick at any given time depends on the severity of the offense, uh, the nature of the person committing the offense, and a lot of the other typical factors that you would think of would go into such a decision. It's like if you're driving in a car and you're speeding. If you're going 105, you might get pulled over and being given a warning. If you're going 165 in an 80, you will get arrested. They'll tow your car away. The severity of the offense dictates what form of response the CRTC brings to the event. One of the most severe responses that they can give is a warrant. Now, a warrant in Canadian law is a judge-blessed invasion into your personal affairs. The, a judge can order that a law enforcement group, RCMP, OPP, uh, is allowed to go into your home, into your business, and search your personal items and make a copy of whatever they find there and take the copy with them. That is a shocking power to have. If you ask the average person on the street, did you know the CRTC can come into your home and seize parts of your computer? I, I can't think of anybody who would know this, and yet it's true. It's not just true in theory, Bob. It's happening. The CRTC has so far obtained two warrants. The first one they obtained back in 2015 was executed in North Toronto. It related to a botnet server uh, and part of a scheme around the world. The CRTC hasn't issued a lot of details on it, but they did go into someone's business and make a copy of everything on the server. It was enforced with the assistance of the RCMP. Then at the end of January 2016, a second warrant was obtained. This one in the Niagara region of Ontario. This was also an enter and search warrant enforced by, uh, I believe, local law enforcement and not the RCMP this time. The CRTC was able to go into somebody's place of business and make a copy, both digital and physical, of whatever they found there. So there are tools available to the CRTC, some of which are quite draconian, the levying of fines up to $10 million per violation. And at the other end of the scale, you might just get a warning letter saying, you know, you're not doing these things correctly. Perhaps you'd like to change the way this happens. Well, thank you very much for scaring us. I agree, Bob. It's truly a terrifying thing. Castle is one of the most terrifying pieces of legislation on the books, and it is not going away. Uh, there's a three-year review called for starting in 2017. So from July of 17 would take us to July of 20. Then they would have to digest the review, figure out amendments. That's easily a year. So the legislation as written as it is now will be as it is until at least 2021. It gets even worse, Bob. I've saved the best for last. 
Under the class action litigation, which kicks in next year, damages are assumed. In law, that means that the plaintiff doesn't have to prove that he's been hurt. So he doesn't have to prove that he lost his job or that he was his that uh, his car was stolen, so he lost the value of the car or anything like that. The mere fact that he received an electronic communication for business into his account is itself proof that he was injured monetarily. That's scary. The even scarier part is that under the law, the onus is on the defendant to prove that the defendant was in compliance. The plaintiff doesn't have to show that the defendant was not in compliance. The onus is on the defendant to show he was in compliance. You remember earlier when we talked about record keeping being where the majority of companies are failing in Castle? This is why it matters. Unless you can prove you had those consents, unless you can prove all the other elements of the law, then even if you followed them, you are in breach of castle and you will be subject to litigation. That's the scariest part of the Canada's anti-spam legislation. And thankfully everyone will hear this podcast and arm themselves appropriately. There are solutions available. Um, they're really quite simple. Um, but first you need to believe there is a problem. Well, if the threat of the CRTC doesn't uh, get you at least moving into the direction of reading up on this on their site, um, I don't know what it will take. I agree. And, th- and this, like I said, this is an HR problem. This is a risk management problem. This is not for the IT department. This is for the risk management side of the business to address. Very good. Well, obviously, the, the IT portion of it will certainly uh, be called into action to help out with the deployment and the uh, follow-up, the internal policies once they've been put into place by the various corporations. Agreed. I, I agree with that. IT is part of the solution. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much. Anytime, Bob. Always a pleasure speaking with you. So if anybody has questions, comments, please uh, forward them to the ctobob.com website and we'll be happy to pass them on to Peter. This podcast is copyrighted 2016 and is written and produced by Bob Pellerin.